Welcome to the Two Putt Podcast. Two Putt for Par. Iowa's number one golf podcast. Yeah, but three putt is Snakesville. One part golf. Basically, it comes down to the fact that golf is hard. And one part business. But if it makes money, it makes sense. Mixing business with pleasure, these guys know how to have fun. This is the Two Putt Podcast. That's what we do. Welcome back, two putters, to an ep- another episode of the Two Putt Podcast. Uh, we got a little bit of recapping uh, to get done tonight from last week. We had a, you know, our big panel of guests, so that'll be kind of fun, and uh, and then kind of go through, you know, what we saw this last uh, weekend, and it was fun. Uh, it was nice to have Major Golf back. Uh, it may feel like a little bit of a letdown this week, uh, but we'll uh, we'll push you through it and uh, and have a good time. So. Uh, how you boys doing tonight? Good, man. Excited. Uh, major golf definitely feels different. Uh, four days, just everything going on. Sunday obviously always feels different. Um, we had basketball tryouts on Sunday, so I didn't get a – I was following on my phone. I didn't get a, to watch it as closely as everybody else. But um, uh, it was fun. It's, it's, uh, it was always good. Um, Harding Park, I think, uh, um, showed well on TV. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in our recap. But, uh, yeah, it's just good to have majors back. Uh, an exciting major, I thought, too, with that being said. I know that this never plays out the way we want it to, but I know that they said with, like, four or five holes left, there was a potential for a six-way playoff, and they were all going to play in the same group, which would have been amazing to watch. Uh, but, obviously, they, they throw out that scenario, and you knew that, somebody's going to pull ahead here and somebody's going to either have to birdie the 18th to tie or something like that. But how great would that have been if we had six dudes rolling back to the 18th or three hole playoff and it's a sudden death here. Yeah. And those three holes would have been a lot of fun and it'd have been interesting to see how they would have social distance with six guys on one hole. That's for sure. It would have looked like us rounding out the, uh, the round at the Muni, maybe not as many people and maybe, uh, not as dark, but I mean, it would have been like the, the type of stuff that, that we play in. We would have been rolling in carts though. We were rolling eight deep in carts and I uh, had to watch out for bunkers and get pulled off the course. So a little bit different scenario, but I still like what we're talking about here. Hey, speaking of the Muni, you guys had a chance to uh, mix up in a little bit of a, uh, a big cup, a two man this weekend. How'd, how'd that go? And, uh, um, what'd you guys think of that tournament? Well, it was good to play again. Lee and I had the opportunity to pair up again and uh, rock our Mormon clothiers polos again. And this time we weren't as fortunate. There was a team that shot 19 under. Uh, so we got into the clubhouse after our round was over and saw that. And we would have had to play exceptionally well uh, to match that, which probably we couldn't have done. But uh, nice to get back out there and play. And, and like we talked about the Muni, uh, that course, the par threes are always challenging when you're playing by yourself and obviously uh that was there's five par threes we played them one over in an eight inch cup best shot so listeners can go ahead and do the math there how we played those holes that was a struggle um I, there's nothing else to say except we just didn't hit very many good shots it, you know i i would say any chance we had to to make a birdie we did uh, we never gave ourselves a chance to make an eagle, and there are some holes out there that you can get, and we just never hit any of those shots. So if I had to, if I had to grade our performance, I'd say 
we're like slightly above average. We, we played, I thought, really solid golf. We just didn't do anything really spectacular. So we didn't hit any shots where you left and thinking, man, that was such an awesome shot. We just hit a lot of nice shots and, and made birdies, and that was about the, the end of it. We didn't get any, anything that we shouldn't have got as far as, you know, an eagle or, or a chip in or something like that. Yeah, we, you know, <laughs> we shot 10 under with a bogey. Uh, and on the last hole, we made par. Uh, Lee hit the stick with his putt, and I don't know how it didn't drop in an eight-inch cup. The thing ended up back behind the hole until it left, but hit the stick dead on and somehow missed. The one hole that we should have made birdie that we that we kind of uh, messed up was hole 16, a short par four. We had 28 yards in, and we made both, or we made par from 28 yards in. So both hit terrible uh, little pitch shots and had 25 feet, and we both missed it. And I will also say that you got a mulligan per guy per side. We had already burned our mulligans on the back nine at that point, so we couldn't fire another one up there at it. And, uh, over, you know, overall, it was awesome, though, because – you know, the point of the outing is to, to fund the or help supplement the junior golf program. And so uh, a good cause, a good outing. Lee and I, we missed that last putt and we kind of laughed because I said, I think we might have just backdoored ourselves into flight and out because I looked at some of the scores that were in before us and we just happened to roll right into that second flight. Uh, tie for first place, but cat carted back. So we got second place in the second flight. So uh, I guess things worked out with that bogey on the card. Yeah, but how about we talk about this really quick? How uh, drunk were the guys that we played with by the time this round got over? Well, let's just say that they were ordering doubles the whole day. Uh, and they were, they asked us on the first tee if we were cool with them playing music during the round. And we said, yeah, that's good. And uh, by about the 12th hole, that thing had turned on to hip hop and they were blaring that thing. And Let's, the end of the round, they had, they were trying to fight us for what our score was. Not literally fight us, but they were arguing with us because they put themselves down for a birdie on a hole that Lee and I actually birdied, and they gave us the par that they scored. And they're like, we ended up tied. We got to play extra holes. We're like, no, actually, we shot 60, and you guys shot 62. So uh, let's go back through that. They thought they made a 45-footer that, I mean, they left like eight inches short. But at that point, they were pretty far – far along in the day and they're like no we birdied that hole and those I wasn't gonna give it up Lee was trying to walk away but I was gonna fight for that one stroke well that was one of those holes that we did actually hit a, a pretty good shot I mean we had like a kick in on a big cup so like we knew we made birdie I mean that that wasn't the the issue they they just uh had what they called a, a John Daly double Every time that they ordered a drink, which is essentially an Arnold Palmer with a, a double shot of vodka in it. So um, they were uh, fairly tuned by the end of the round. And uh, uh, I, I hope they Ubered back to Mason City. Well, they were from Mason City even, huh? And this was Sunday? And it was, yeah. it was Sunday, teed nine too, right? Yeah, we teed off. We we're supposed to tee off at 9.04. It was a half-hour delay with the rain and the storm that went through that morning. Um, so we ended up teeing off at 9.34 and got done a little bit after 1. But they were, uh, yeah, they were feeling good by the time the round was over. That's the one nice thing about two-man, though, is you, when you get to play with somebody else. I know we've talked a little bit about it as far as when you play four-man and you don't have another group that you're up against. 
the two man at least allows it, you to have two other guys and kind of compete and keep everybody honest. The one, the one guy we did play with did win closest to a pin on hole too. He rolled one up there. Uh, it was about uh, 195, I think, mm-hmm. is what it was. Uh, he rolled one up there, landed her about 25, 30 yards short of the green, and we thought it was going in, and it stopped about two and a half feet from the pin, three feet from the pin, and he ended up walking away with that pin prize. And if you've ever played that course, hole two is tough. I mean, you know, a 200-yard par three with an elevated green. I mean, when he hit it, we thought it was just dead short, and it kicked forward, and then it just – it looked like a putt from where we were standing. Like, it was tracking, 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 and then, yeah, three feet probably. So, that was a pretty nice shot. So, we were actually down after after two holes. If they were that tuned up without making a hole-in-one, I would have hated to seen what happened if that thing went in. We wouldn't have finished. There's no way. Well, they wouldn't have finished. We probably would have been playing by ourselves. How do you put uh, closest to the pin on hole two out there? All the par threes they had closest to the pin. Oh, okay. So every single par three, there was a pin prize for closest to the pin. And we didn't, we didn't get any of those because we played them one over. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say we that. Barely hit enough, we barely hit a green. Let alone closest to, right? But yeah. um, that's, I was going to say, hole two to try to do closest to the pin. Like, that's dumb. Like, that's, I mean, no way. That is a tough they, green to hit. They should have that person standing on the tee with a sleeve of balls and you pay five bucks. If you hit the green, you get the sleeve of balls like you, like they do at the fundraiser outings. For sure. or, or have the person standing up by the green for the win the car and take one off the chest. Remember that when we were playing in the booster and that girl or something just all the, ugh, just totally got hit by a ball. <laughs> yeah, she got it good. Uh, I think she found a new spot to stand and was like, I, I don't, I can witness this from 100 yards away. I don't need to be standing right here by the green. So, well, good. No, always uh, always good to get a chance to get out on the Muni and uh, um, even better to get a chance to play. So, that's uh, so that's good. And you guys said you're done by one, and so you had a chance to get home and uh, uh, watch this PGA final round um, and everything that went on. Um, I, you know, we talked about it in the intro, but a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot of people in the running. Um, obviously, our snake draft made it even more fun for us and our group and everybody texting there on Sunday. Um, but uh, as you take a look back at the week and the four days, what are what are some of your guys' biggest takeaways or um, storylines that uh, jumped out to you most from the PGA? Well, I mean, obviously the number one headline is you got Morikawa doing what he did to to finish that thing off. And, uh, you know, the way – he played Sunday. The start he got off to was a little shaky, uh, but he made over a 20-footer on one to save par. And then when he made the one on six, I believe, from over 20 feet, like 22 feet to save par again, it was kind of like, okay, this guy's got a chance to, you know, to potentially put together a really solid round here and could end up pulling this thing off. And so, uh, obviously, I think he's number one. You know, when you go down to it, Brooks, DJ, that uh, – how that thing whole whole thing played out with DJ having the lead going into Sunday and Brooks taking a little bit of a shot at him about how he's only won one and he hasn't converted when he's been leading uh, going into Sunday. And so I, I think those are kind of the big headlines that you take away from it. And I'm going to throw for a little personal shout out my boy Jay Day 
making a run there at the championship and having a chance on 17 when he just slid a birdie putt by, but having a chance to get in the house as the clubhouse leader and playing really well after all the guys on the pod were dogging me for my pick there and saying he was going to fall out because of his bad back after the first seven holes. Jason Day healthy is still a very good golfer. I mean, he proved that uh, he proved that this week. And so it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. And um, yeah, obviously Brooks personal level. I obviously had him when the snake draft and um, felt okay. I will say that once he was getting stretched out, was that on Friday, um, getting a heavy stretch out? I was like, this is not, this is not what I need to see from a guy that needs to try to put together a couple more rounds. But um, is Brooksy being Brooksy? We love the fact that he just doesn't give a shit and will just say whatever and call dudes out. And, you know, now it, the uh, check that his ass wasn't able to cash, though, this time and obviously faded on Sunday. But, um, and then, yeah, Morikawa, obviously, what, 65 64 on the weekend in his first major weekend because I think he missed the cut in his other major. But um, so 65 64 first weekend. I mean, just watching that guy hit his irons. Um, I saw somebody had tweeted out where he was on a study um, where they did a dispersion of his six iron in college, and it was the same as most pros pitching wedge or something like that, which is just crazy. I mean, that guy just flushes the ball and is just so dialed in. And so it was fun. It was good. It was fun to uh, to see him play as well as he did. And um, if, if Trost didn't have him, I would have been rooting a little bit harder for him. I'll, I'll just touch on a couple things. Uh, I'll be brief because you guys have kind of hit a lot of those points, but Morikawa is going to be a star. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. I mean, a guy that, you know, isn't maybe the, the flashy player that we see with, you know, a lot of these young guys that hits it really far, or, you know, whatever has that, that personality that, that sticks out more than others. But obviously those shots uh, you hit coming down the stretch, starting at 14 with that chip in, that drive on 16, and then honestly, the miss hit where he did on 18, you know, and still make a birdie. I mean, he hit some pretty big stone shots coming down the stretch. I mean, that's that's the guy that is going to be in a lot of majors for a long time, I think. You know, I, again, maybe isn't going to be the one that that stands out each week because of what he does, but he is, he's going to be really good. And uh, the Brooks thing, I love, I love how much of a troll he is. I think it's fun, but you have to back it up when you say those things. Like you, it just doesn't ring as true when you want to say that about somebody, you know, not being able to close the deal and, and DJ didn't, I mean, um, but Brooks, I mean, they just, they had to stop showing his shots on Sunday. He was one of those guys you thought we would see a lot of on Sunday and it didn't take long for him to fall out of the, the coverage, but DJ, how did that guy shoot under par on Sunday? I mean, he hit terrible shots. It seemed like all day. Um, but I mean, he still shot, I mean, he shot 133 on the weekend. I mean, I nothing you can kind of shake your head about with that. I mean, he, he obviously didn't win. I'm sure that will, will sting for a while, but you know, he definitely did not uh, deserve to win on Sunday, but for him to shoot 68, that kind of blew my mind. Well, he hit a big putt on 18 that caught, made him a ton of money. Got him out of that, uh, um, that split down a, a third, right? Um, what was it? Do you have a dollar? It was like 200,000, maybe more 400. 
Yeah, he, I don't know what it exactly was, but he ended up finished T2 with Paul Casey instead of being down in that log jam that then became T4. Uh, he also holed out on 16 after he drove it into the hazard and took a drop. So he played his last three holes in two under after ch chipping in from off in no man's land and then making a nice birdie on 18. Uh, the other thing that, you know, wasn't talked about a whole lot, but obviously he was shown a ton. Uh, but Bryson, I thought, played well. And I will be the first to say that I am not a Bryson fan, as we all know. Uh, he was on my team, so I was obviously a little bit more keen on cheering for him this week or last weekend. Uh, but he played – I thought he played good, you know. he, Yeah, his distance wasn't as big of a factor there, but I thought he kept himself in it. Uh, he had a couple of tough breaks. You know, he had, a, he had a bad stretch on Sunday where he tied for the lead, and then he went and bogeyed eight and bogeyed nine. Uh, I think he three-putt on – maybe both of them, uh, but he played good. And, you know, we were, we were talking, Lee and I, while we were watching a little bit of it, uh, he had the one interview and he, you know, he seemed more likable in the interview when he's just talking uh, and answering questions and wasn't complaining about fire ants or complaining about the camera being on in the bunker. And so uh, I'm not saying I'm loosening my stance on him, but I thought this last weekend he was at least a little bit more enjoyable to watch in terms of his antics and the things that he did and how he carried himself. So thought he played well and had a good tournament. I mean, there's a lot of storylines. Justin Rose played well after missing how many cuts before that. Uh, you know, you got Rory not playing great throughout the entire course of the weekend. And so you got him being a guy that's supposed to be one of the top few players in the world. And John Rahm, makes a Sunday charge and is back to be a number one player in the world. So there's a lot of things that you can take away from it. I, uh, you know, and overall I thought it was, you know, an entertaining PGA championship. I think Bryson has to figure out a way to play from the fairway though, you know, especially in those tournaments, like, like, a, like a major, you know, where you are penalized a little bit more. It, it, not that he didn't hit good shots from the rough, but I mean, if he's, if he just would hit, something in the fairway I mean he's pretty dialed in you know when he's hitting the ball into the green I mean it's not like a lack of game it's just more of a lack of position for him like the the shots just became more difficult and and I get it when you hit the ball that far it's hard to put that driver in the bag you know and say hey, I'm not going to hit it when I'm just blasting it by everybody but I mean if he can figure out a way I mean, he's got plenty of game but you know I think some of those shots out there especially where the pins are at you know, when you could spin it from from the fairway as opposed to, you know, trying to run one up a little bit more from the rough. I mean, it does make a big difference, especially in those big tournaments. I, I think with Bryson, and Steggy, you mentioned it, is that golf, no matter what you think of him, he's entertaining and he's fun to watch. And, you know, golf needs a little bit more of that because, I mean, it's great that we have so many good guys. And, like, a lot of these guys on tour are good guys. It's like you need every once in a while you need this dude that you kind of love to hate. Um, you know, and Bryson's that. And I'm sure for Brooks is that for some people too. And, um, you know, and so, so you need it because it, it, it is entertaining and it's fun to watch Bryson bomb it and mess things up and then recover and come back and go all over the place. And so um, it's definitely good for golf. Uh, one other um, performance uh, was his playing partner on Sunday, your boy, Seggy um, Finau actually had a chance and it wasn't this he didn't fade like he does normally on Sunday he actually played pretty good golf uh through Sunday and uh never really felt like he was gonna win but he definitely played good golf and gave himself a chance well you know I kind of put through it together a little group text with everybody that was in the stake draft for the most part and 
I know that when Finau made birdie to get into a sheriff the lead, I think Greg fired Greg Coonan fired back with a little text about uh, something in regards to Fino, and I just said, "Here comes the bogey." And then he had hole 16 where he just blocked that that I uh, whatever he hit three wood I think or hybrid off the tee uh, right of the drivable par four, and then ends up not making par there, and I uh, had to make a par save coming in too. But no, I mean the guy, I just think he's putting himself into position so many times that he's going to come through because he's so talented. Uh, and he's going to be more comfortable in those situations too. And the other thing that, you know, was talked about a little bit, you know, no spectators there. Yeah. You know, uh, those guys, those young guys, Champ, Morikawa, are they in the, the, you know, in those final groups and a big putt goes in and they hear the roar, you know, where are the jitters at? And I, I think when Morikawa hit that, that three or that driver on 16, I said, but game set match. And somebody said, oh, there's still going to be, uh, you know, he's still going to get a little nervy coming down the stretch, which he obviously could have. But without the crowds there, it, I think it takes a little bit of that element out. And so I think that played into his favor there, too. Yeah, it didn't help him at uh, Colonial, though, when he yoinked that two-footer in the playoff. But, uh, no, I agree. But at this, on the same side, th that shot on 16 is one of those that we're going to see for a really long time. And it would have been nice to see a fan or crowd reaction and, you know, see see those guys go wild and get excited. And, and it does. I, I mean, it, it definitely – I think it fuels some of those guys and would probably scare a few of them. And so it's different. I mean, and it, you know, but they're all playing in the same circumstances. And so – Take advantage of it if you can. And uh, obviously one person that knows that situation well is Tiger. What would you, uh, you guys think of Tiger's week? I think the week overall, I mean, where you look where he finished and, and shooting under par for the week is, is a plus for him. Um, but, you know, there's still that, that lack of competition for him. And, again, he's got to balance the, the competition with the health and, you know, which tournaments is he going to pick to play and, you know, I know he's not going to play this week. Um, at some point, he has to play multiple weeks in a row, or I just don't think he's ever going to truly be in contention just because there is that difference between, you know, playing and practicing. And I think you have to, to get out there and compete and get those reps. You know, not that he hasn't had a, a million of them in his life, but – you know, to the point now where if he's going to keep up with uh, some of these guys that are, you know, really, really good, he's got to play some competitive rounds. I think just the fact, like you said, he was under par and he didn't get hurt in cold conditions. I mean, overall, that's at this point, that's a win for Tiger. I mean, Tiger's going to have to pick his spots. Um, that's basically what it's going to come down to. So it's going to be a balance of just picking courses and setups and weather conditions that play into his advantage. And then, find a major and that's going to set him up and, and hopefully get one or two more and right off into the sunset. Yeah. I think tiger, I mean, he was, he was good. I mean, he wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. He was good, but you could tell that he had a little bit of rust and, you know, he had a different putter in play this week, uh, a little bit longer. It sounds like, uh, and you know, I, you could just tell that he wasn't quite comfortable with it and he didn't hold many putts. I mean, the guys that were at top were making putts, you know, Morikawa made putts, they made putts. They got around the course. They got up and down. Tiger just didn't make much the entire week. Um, 
going along that note is Phil. Um, and one of the big notes and storylines from this weekend was when Phil had an opportunity to jump in the booth um, and, and talk with those guys a little bit and um, interview, if you will, not that Phil would need an interview to uh, be able to get a position like that. But, you know, Phil likes to show off the, the cerebral side and we all know that he's an intelligent guy and, and is a deep thinker. And, um, and so that was fun. I mean, it was definitely a ray of light. What did, what did you guys think of him jumping in the booth and some of his, uh, uh, some of his jabs at Sir Nick Faldo as well? Well, I, I think, I think Phil is great. I mean, cause he's a savvy dude. Uh, you know, like we talked on one of the other episodes, social media nowadays and how he has more exposure and we see a different side of him. And uh, I watched the video of him making his coffee or whatever before uh, Thursday where he was mixing it up and how he does it. And, uh, you know, you just see a different side of him. Now him in the booth, he's obviously really, really smart. He understands the game. Uh, I mean, he's one of the best players in the history of the game. If you look at his track record and his career, uh, and then you throw in the kind of wit he has with it. He set Sir Nick up there on a tee, and Sir Nick, he uh, swung and missed, and Nance had to kind of <laughs> take a little shot at him too. So, I mean, Phil's, Phil being Phil and throw him in the booth where he's really good at talking about golf, and I think it's a win-win on all sides. Well, when you think about – golf and you think about announcers and you think about the stigma that comes with the game just in a, in an entirety charisma is something that we don't see a lot of you know the the people are a little bit afraid to say what they think because of the perception of golf and and Phil does not care about that kind of thing like he is going to tell you exactly what's on his mind um, he's, he's an awful lot like Peyton Manning when you think about guys that are, are very intelligent, but they're also very funny and they're very smart about how they're funny, you know, and, and those guys are just made for the booth. Can we ever get Peyton Manning into a, to a booth? Can we ever get Phil into a booth? I mean, Peyton's kind of found his niche doing other things. It's going to be hard to get Phil off the golf course. I mean, I know that he would be perfect in that setting, but does he really want to, you know, he's got so much game and he's 50 years old and he's, he could play golf forever because, you know, there is an opportunity for guys when they get older, you know, not that he's necessarily there. I think he still feels and, and rightfully so that he can compete on the PGA tour, but man, when you get just a little glimpse of those guys and you see how good they are, like we're definitely missing that in, in sports broadcasting. Yeah, and to that, and we're going to get to this next, but uh, having ESPN um, on the coverage this week, too, was a lot of fun. And uh, to that point, I mean, I think David Duvall kind of opened the curtain a little bit more um, than some of the guys on the CBS or NBC teams. And so that was refreshing to hear. And Scott Van Pelt is obviously a true professional. And so uh, that was fun. And like I said, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, to your point, too, I mean, with the Peyton Manning thing, I was almost looking at it more from like the Tony Romo side of things where, you know, Phil just got off the course and he's like, Hey, here's what's going on. Here's how I played that hole. And like doing a little bit of the predicting and like, here's what's going to happen. And he's going to hit this cut in there and stuff. And it was, it was awesome. It was refreshing to, to hear. Um, it seemed to liven things up a little bit. I mean, they all kind of seemed to be like, okay, yeah, this is, this is a lot more fun. And, and that's what golf needs and golf continues to grow. And actually in our next segment, we're going to talk about the game growing and how it grows and some of the things that come with that. But uh, 
yeah, I think that uh, I think that Phil would Phil would be a great voice for the game and moving it forward. But uh, Ed, to your point, Lee, I think it comes down to money, and I don't think they're going to pay him enough to get him in the booth because he can he can still go and play all of his exemptions and then go win four or five tournaments on the Champions Tour and um, get paid way more money. And so so that's going to be tough. But it was fun. It was and his jabs at Faldo were uh, were pretty good too. And um, it's just it's just good to see those guys having fun and like I said I mean with the ESPN coverage I enjoyed it um the ESPN coverage was a little bit different uh just just because I mean ESPN they're the worldwide leader right and they just treated it like an event and and maybe had a little bit more fun than we get the week-to-week stuffiness from CBS but uh ESPN plus uh I didn't get a chance during the week I know you guys did so you guys can touch on that um, as far as that coverage and everything, but but what do you guys think about having ESPN on board and we're going to see more of that moving forward? Well, I think it's great. I mean, I thought they did a great job. The ESPN Plus was you know was really good coverage. Uh, you know, you could pick a you could pick a feature group. You could pick the actual just tournament coverage if you wanted to. So you could kind of you know tailor made what you wanted to do for the tournament and what you wanted to watch. And I think anytime you get SVP on the call, the guy can. I mean, he can talk about any sport, uh, no matter what it is, and be really good at it. He can relate to the guys. He can relate to the players. He understands what's going on. And he just has a, he just has a knack for being able to, to broadcast that stuff. And so uh, I thought the coverage was really, really good. Uh, you know, they have some things to work on probably, too, and that they'll continue to get better at. But I thought it was really good throughout the course of the week. You know, SVP is obviously awesome. I mean, his, his sports center is great. Um, you really think of him in that ESPN light, but you have to understand, I mean, the guy cut his teeth on the golf channel, you know, so his background is golf. So when you get him in that setting, yeah, it is comfortable for him because that's what he started doing. And, you know, it, it's not to say that you couldn't put anybody that's a really good broadcaster in any sport and they would figure it out. But when you get SVP, just his personality and then the knowledge level that he has with the game of golf. I mean, that's kind of an unstoppable combination. I didn't have a problem with any of the broadcasts. I know people were complaining about CBS on Sunday because of the commercials and the shots, but at the end of the day, they have to show this other stuff because that is what the broadcast is. You know, they, they talked about commercials. Oh, how can they go to a commercial? Well, that's why we get to watch golf because those people are paying, um, those you know those networks to to broadcast it so you know I didn't have an issue with any of it yeah can it always be better sure but I mean it was still I thought just fine the entire week it's uh I think leading up when they were talking about uh Scott Van Pelt asking him what his approach was going to be going you know going back to golf as you mentioned and and covering it and he he basically I can't remember what the quote was but basically say what's going on and get out of the way is what he said. Like he's basically going to just try to set things up and then just let the, let the action take over. And they did. And like I said, I thought that David Duvall's and his insight um, was really good. You know, hearing from somebody who obviously competed against Tiger and was top of the world at one point and had his struggles as well. So like there's one segment when they're talking about Jordan Spieth and some of the things in which that he basically said that he just needs to hit the reset button and, maybe knew everything and, and hope that that works for him. But yeah, so it was good. No, I thought uh, ESPN was, like I said, it was nice. It was refreshing. It'll be good to see more of that um, 
moving forward. But uh, overall, just a fun week. Uh, again, uh, we'll we'll go over the snake draft here just real quick. We mentioned it. Obviously, got to give a big shout out um, to John Tros who had uh, had Morikawa um, and uh, obviously ran away. When if you we we mentioned it in the draft, if you pick the winner, it's, it's tough. Um, uh, it's tough, especially when you had so many splits moving down the way. But uh, it was a lot of fun Sunday because we had a lot of golfers that uh, were in the mix. And I think, uh, Steggy, you have a little bit closer of a breakdown as far as kind of where we were at, what we finished. Um, but everyone, everybody was at least in the running on Sunday. Yeah, it was fun because, you know, we we were going through that. And you looked at that top 10, top 15 going into the final round. And you had, you know, Trost had Morikawa. Lee had DJ leading it. Uh, I had Day and DeChambeau in the mix there. Coonan had Finau. Uh, Atchison had Berger and Shoffley in the mix. Uh, you know, Kepka was right up there for Claude. Fleetwood was in the mix for Coonan. So there was a lot of guys that could have been, uh, you know, could have been crowned the champion if they played well on Sunday. But obviously, shout out to Trost. I gave him a hard time. I'm going to have to eat crow here with this one. But I gave him a hard time after the draft last Tuesday and uh, told him about how his guys couldn't hit out of their shadows. And you know, he came through with the win. So congrats to Trost there. I think the final breakdown as I was kind of looking through it here, Trost finished with 2.173 million. Obviously Morikawa on top there accounting for 1.98 million of that. So uh, a large chunk. And then you go down the list, he had Kisner and he had uh, Webb Simpson as well. Second place, Lee edged out Staggy. Lee had 1.226 million with DJ accumulating 1.18 of that. Uh, and then I had 1.18 million or 1.118 million. Uh, and with Day and DeChambeau finishing a T for four, that was kind of the, the uh, gist of my team there. So uh, the funny part about this is kind of texting back and forth with Atchison. And he said, whatever we do, we just got to keep Bergman involved because Bergman accumulated for $81,600. So he had Rory, and then he had Spieth dead last out of anybody that made the cut, and he had Ricky miss a tap-in to miss the cut. So uh, he said, invite him back to whatever you guys are doing. If it's a snake draft, whatever you're doing, keep him involved. Old Bergman, yeah. He uh, he was had a tough go of it during the draft, and then uh, results came came full circle and as, as far as some of his picks. But uh no, it was fun. It was fun to uh, have everybody involved. And like I said, some pretty good picks. Uh, everybody had a chance. And um, it, it would have been a lot of fun if, you know, we would have had a, a Scotty Scheffler or a Cam Champ or somebody win that and then see how everything shakes out afterwards. Um, you know, you mentioned it. I mean, we didn't even talk about it. Kisner had had a pretty good Sunday, too. I mean, there are a couple of those guys came back door on that. Um, it, it definitely would have been interesting to see how the, the payouts would have sh- uh, shook out without the, without the big winner. But uh, uh, either way, it was fun. Um, looking forward to it, uh, doing it again. Hopefully here will be a little while until we – U.S. Open or whenever we decide to do that again. But uh, we appreciate those guys coming on and had a ton of fun. And, and hopefully it made things a little bit more fun for you guys too, listening at home and uh, was able to follow along with that as well. Hey, can I interrupt really quick? Yeah. I think we need to change the format next time, though. I think I think we need to make it so that the person that picks the winner doesn't necessarily win. You know, like I think there needs to be a way that that we do it that it's more of the reward the person that drafts 
really well. You know, not necessarily when we have nine people, is that what it was? Nine, eight, nine, yeah. whatever it was that somebody's inevitably going to pick the winner. Um, I think we should, we should think about tweaking the format so that, you know, we can make it a little bit more about the depth of your picks, not just that, that one guy that ends up winning the tournament. Yeah. We'll have to, to talk about it and see what we can come up with we can do like a point system i mean there's a hundred different ways in which that we can do it um yeah but no it's fun it was I, I i thought it turned out well having everybody on uh, at the same time and uh you know if next time i had a couple people reach out and so next time we'll have to get even a few more if we can get that 12 15 count on there it'll be uh it, it'll be fun it's just it, it's just fun to it's fun to have so many people involved and uh we definitely appreciate it Hey everyone, want to take a quick second to let you know that each and every episode of the Two Pup Podcast is brought to you by WB Realty. You've heard my wife say it on here over 20 times that WB Realty is Central Iowa's best real estate brokerage. And as usual, she's not wrong. We have all the tools and experience that you need to make your next real estate transaction the best one yet. Now let's jump back into the pod. All right, welcome back into the Two Pup Podcast. With the pandemic going on, uh, golf has been one of those sports that has seen a little bit of a, of a steady climb. Um, actually, one thing that I was going to pull up here, and I'll take a look at it. Uh, so this, the stock market as a whole today was down, but as I look at um, actually the call letters Golf, oddly enough, which is a company that um, holds uh, Titleist, uh, FootJoy, uh, some of the major brands um, in, in the golf industry was up today. So a little less than a point, but either way it's up and it continues to be up over the last three months. And so golf is uh, golf's taken off a little bit. And with that uh, comes some rules and some guidelines in which that uh, if you're listening to the pod, you probably are going to sit there and say, yep, I know all those. But uh, if you're, if you're just getting into golf and you, you stumbled on our pod, then hopefully we're going to help you out and, one of the first ones, and the reason why this kind of came up is Lee has ran into this uh, quite a bit uh, over the summer, but it's it's fixing your divots, um, replacing your divots. I know it's a little tricky because some courses are different, but uh, Lee, what's your take? What's your take on uh, on these divots out there? Well, I'd say in the in the fairway, it's kind of hit and miss. You know, there's there's places that you know they give you something to put on your divot. You know, whatever that may be, sand or seed or whatever. Um, but you know, just being able to, to grab whatever divot you may have taken out and put that back in the fairway. But the one I, I noticed the most this, this summer so far is the replacing the divots on the greens. And, and honestly, it, it probably comes down to the fact that people don't know how to fix divots. I mean, you'll see a lot of divots that somebody has tried to fix. So it's just pure dirt. You know, like you can tell that they've tried to, but I've, I spend more time, on greens just fixing divots that people have not touched you know like it it really takes you know five seconds to fix a divot um but then you know they always say you know make make one fix two but i'm like fixing 10 you know like it, people just need to just take that five seconds and fix it because you just can't touch them all i mean you have a pretty good idea where you hit them just fix the one you've you've done and again if you need a, a divot lesson just google it it will show you how to fix a divot on a green it drives me crazy you're trying to like putt through a minefield 
we played at Finkbine for Operation Falcon. They had uh, on the carts, they had up top, I don't know if you saw it or not, Lee, but they had kind of instructions as to the proper way to fix divots on the green, ball marks on the green. The thing that just absolutely chews at me is when you see somebody hit the green, maybe you're playing with them and you roll up there and they don't even look for their ball mark. They don't even like, they don't even comprehend that. Yeah. It hit the green. I'm going to go fix my ball mark. They just roll right over their ball, mark it, clean their ball, get ready to putt. I mean, that just like, I don't say anything. I usually go over there and fix that. And I, I, people probably get mad at me when I play with them because if I'm the first one on the green and I'm walking by a ball mark that maybe they made, I'll usually just fix it because I'm like, it's on my way. I'm just going to fix it here in about three, four, five seconds. And, uh, move on with it so that is definitely one of the things and and for course maintenance I mean I know that that's something that these these you know even municipal courses but even private courses they have they have their members go out there and fix ball marks every however often because a lot of people just don't tend to them so that is definitely uh, in the top couple of things that annoy me on the golf course when that happens. Well, and, and when it comes to the greens, I mean, the, that's what every golfer wants is good greens. Like that's, oh yeah, the course is a little rougher on the edges. Greens are great. Like the greens are always what you want. As long as you have good greens, greens are roll true. Um, and so, yeah, so it takes everybody. Uh, obviously it takes everybody to be able to have those greens in good condition and the condition that you want. And so, so don't bitch about a bad green and not fix your divots when you're, uh, when you're out there. Um, and then from a replacing divots, as you talked about too, Lee, uh, in the fairway and, um, becomes a little bit more interesting on that because I've been some places where they actually prefer that you don't replace the, the actual divot and, um, uh, you know, you use the sand slash seed that they provide or whatever, because they say it'll repair itself and grow back faster than having the divot in there. But, uh, you know, growing up playing your local nine, we always replaced the divot, stomped on it and, and went that route. And obviously di totally different grass and different seeds. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things that it, it, it does make a difference, maybe not as much to us, but when we talked about it when, uh, uh, with Mirfield Village and the fact that they've purposely we're putting those guys in different spots because of the the divots and playing out of a divot is 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 never any fun just like you mentioned lee putting putting through a landmine isn't any fun either well my first round when we played operation falcon i played with josh peterson the superintendent of beaver hills just down the road and uh, i think it was in the middle of the third fairway i asked him about it because we obviously made a couple and i said something to him i said what you know what do you prefer to do well obviously they had the the sand seed mixture on the carts that and we just poured that in there and i i mean that was the preference that he had rather than grabbing your chunk and throwing it back and putting it on there and stepping it down and uh everything he he just i asked him and i mean that was the route that he chose to go or that he wanted to go and uh so for me if you have that option i think that's the way to go the local muni's a lot of times they don't have those options so they you know you throw them back there replace them and uh I think that's the way that they operate. So uh, in my talking with him, which we need to have him on the podcast at some point here so we can talk about that side of things too. But uh, I think that's kind of the, the route that he had with it. Yeah, and it, it's always interesting. One of the other things I have on the list here um, it, is, is the golf carts and the golf cart path. Uh, I know we've talked a little bit about the 90-degree rule and, and some of that stuff. But uh, 
you know, th those golf carts are obviously a great feature and we all love having them and being able to uh, use them. Uh, but, but they have their wear and tear on the course as well. And so, I mean, one of the things that, um, for me is when people get too close to the green, like I start like, and maybe it was the former ranger in me too, because that's like the biggest thing that we used to go and flag, flag people for. Um, and at Des Moines golf, they had, um, a red stake on red stake off. And so you couldn't come off the path until you were past the red stake, past the tees and everything. And then once you were so far close to the green, they had a red stake in which that you had to exit. And it was a rule that was, maybe sometimes taking for granted just because the amount of members that were out there and could be new to some people, but, um, you know, just little things like that and not getting those cards where you're just driving all over or, Hey, ooh, this is a little wet. I'm going to sit here and spin my tires. I mean, that makes a big difference on those courses and taking care of them. Well, two things with that, the, the courses that have GPS on their carts, you know, they're also generally set up so you can't drive somewhere you're not supposed to, you know, I, I know I've played legacy a few times this summer and, there's our, our pretty touchy, like if restricted area, please, you know, put it in reverse. Then you go reverse like a half a mile an hour. And then all of a sudden you're out of the restricted area and you got the, the gas down because you're only going, you know, like I said, a half mile an hour and you get out of the restricted area and all of a sudden you're bolting backwards. Um, but just like keeping, you know, being mindful of that. But if you, if you don't, you know, just, when you get close to a green, just get on the cart path or, you know, stay in the rough or whatever it may be. But I would say the biggest thing, like on Muni courses, people just drive too fast, you know, and if it's wet, like you see exactly where they went, like they drove through this area and like, just slow down. I mean, they don't go that fast anyway. Like you're not going to speed up your round by just hammering the, the cart through this area. Like just slow down a little bit. Um, one of the, one of the other things too, um, dealing with that is saggy is looking for your ball. Um, when you're out there, uh, I know from a golf coach side and the comp, uh, competitive side, you have three minutes, but, um, and, and obviously everybody's different and every situation is different. Uh, you know, you're in a four man, you have two in the drive or two drives in the fairway. You spend about 30 seconds looking at it. I mean, if you're in a money game and you're playing your own ball, obviously it changes a little bit per, per each scenario, but there still comes a point where, Hey, I mean, pace of play in this game, probably one of the hangups, obviously now we have more time pandemic, but one of the biggest knocks on golf is that it takes too long. And if you're out there looking for your ball forever, it's going to take long for everybody. Yeah, you know, I think that when they made that rule change from a competitive standpoint, three minutes to, to look for your golf ball here a few years ago, uh, the thing that I think people don't realize, and it's when you're looking for your golf ball, uh, three minutes is not very long. I mean, you get to your golf ball, you walk around in a circle three or four times, and you kind of look in the area, and next thing you know, your time is up. Uh, and I think from a competitive standpoint, obviously being on the course with college golfers, uh, we have to constantly remind them of that because that rule changed. Uh, but that is also one of the things that you're, you're playing behind a group and uh, somebody probably gets attached to that $4 Pro V1 that they hit out into a long grass and they spend all day looking for it. They find four other ones, but they want to find that one because it's their golf ball. Uh, and, you know, that, that is frustrating when you're playing behind somebody. Uh, and I think that one of the other things that we might talk about a little bit is 
when do you let somebody play through if it's a quicker group? And so uh, if you're looking for your golf ball for a long time, fine, but be cognizant of the people that are behind you as well. And uh, that can that can definitely add up to the frustrations when you're following somebody that's always out there just looking around, looking for golf balls. Well, Jason, we talked about our nature is to look for golf balls, you know, and but but we're not talking about looking in play for our golf balls. You know, we're talking about – maybe in the woods or something like that. And those are the, the people that drive me crazy is when they're holding you up and they're looking for a golf ball that's not even in play. You know, like I, I will, I will spend some time looking for golf balls when it's not in play. Even if I'm don't, I didn't hit one in there. If I, if I'm sitting here waiting for somebody, if there's, you know, a break in the action and I can spend two minutes just trying to pick a couple balls out of there but man, that drives me crazy when and where people look for their golf balls. You know, I'm waiting behind them and I see some dude, you know, chest deep in the, in the brush trying to find a ball that they're not going to play anyway. Like just look for your golf ball. And if it's way gone, then just drop one and hit it so I can keep playing. That's funny that you say that because that fits your personality where you can't stand still for more than about 22 seconds. So if there's a little bit of break in the action, Lee's going to be uh, off wandering around taking a look for a few uh, straggling golf balls that have been left behind. Well, I'll say like this weekend that the drive I hit on, is it hole four now at, at the Muni? One, two, three. Yes, four, that part four. four. So I obviously hit a ball that was in play. That it may not have been in a great spot, but it was definitely right where we looked. And, and I did find a golf ball that was the exact same golf ball I was playing, um, same number, same color, and it had a line on it. So I'm pretty sure somebody just hit my golf ball that they looked down. Oh, it's Titleist II. I'm going to hit that. So I had to leave a golf ball out there not knowing whose it was that looked a lot like my golf ball with just a different marking on it. And at some point we just had to give it up and go back and hit a different golf ball. But like, just be mindful of what's around you. And, you know, honestly, in that same respect, make sure you hit your own golf ball. Just to, just to touch on the whole golf ball thing. Your little funny story here. My brother, uh, I've been trying to get him to listen to the podcast forever, but uh, he's too into like talk radio and to that stuff. So uh, he has, he's kind of that golf ball hoarder guy that wants to find his golf ball at all costs. And I give him a hard time because in his garage, he has over 40 dozen in the box, unused, either tailor-mades, Pro-Vs, you name it, uh, Nikes. He's got unused Nikes and they haven't manufactured for how long? And he's like, oh, I, I'm like, why are you not playing these golf balls? And he's like, I don't want to lose them. So he'll like, he might tee off with one ball because he can lose it. But then when he putts, he wants to put a different ball down because uh, it's a nice ball. I'm like, come on, man. You have over 40 dozen unused in the box golf balls. Let's go. I, I tell you what, that, um, that sounds like Tom Claude right there too. As you mentioned that, if you guys could see the buckets of golf balls that it got to the point where, I mean, dad was donating to the range for them to have, cause he had, so, I mean, so many, so many golf balls. Like I, I'm sure my mom knows. I mean, he had them stored out at work. I mean, we're talking, I, I don't know how many hundreds of buckets of golf balls. And it's like, 
what like what are you what are you doing with all these and 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 then at that point it's like they they go bad too you know what i mean like the technology anymore just passes them up so um but uh to to that point then we talked you talked a little bit about playing through and a little bit different now and obviously tournaments and whatever i mean you're not playing through but like when you're just out there if you're a single or if you're you got two guys and you're just out playing um and you're just trying to rip through there nothing is worse than when you got guys in front of you and there's two holes open and they're playing and they're not paying any attention and you're like guys like it'll take four minutes for us to hit on the green throw a few putts at and we'll, we'll get out of your way and, and, you know, like I said, growing up small town, we did a lot of that and we played through and, you know, past families and ladies and whatever it was, but uh, a little bit different when you get out uh, on some of these other courses, but that's one of the things where it's like, let, let someone play through. It just yeah, happened I mean, to me. Oh, sorry, Jason. It no, just happened ahead. to me last, last week when I played legacy, I played with one other person and um, we were supposed to play with another group of two. Um, somebody had canceled a tea time. So they said, if you guys are ready, go ahead. So we went, we went ahead and we started playing and, um, made it through, uh, six holes, fairly unscathed at legacy, got to the seventh hole. And this group of two in front of us is like, Hey, you can go ahead. There's a group of three in front. They're really slow. We've spent a lot of time not hitting golf balls, but go ahead. Okay, perfect. So we go ahead, play seven and we get to eight and we have to wait. And we get to nine and we have to wait. And I'm, I just told the guy I was playing with, Jordan, we want them to go into the clubhouse after nine and we are just going to buzz to the 10th the tee and we're going to go. Well, they were three older gentlemen and I'm guessing they're in this situation quite a bit. They sent two of their people to the clubhouse and the other one guy went to the, the tee box. So basically they knew, you know, so we're, we're sitting there waiting for them to tee off. And the one guy says, Hey, do you want to play through? Yes, we will play through. And the other guy, one of the other guys in the group goes, Oh, there's a foursome in front of us. So then they just left. And then we just played behind them for the last nine holes. They would not let us play through. And it was so slow. Like, honestly, they could have let us play through where, where they hit their shots we could have hit our tee shots and, and they could have still kept playing, you know, like they weren't hitting it very far. So like it wouldn't have slowed them down at all. I mean, we would have went up, hit our second shots and, and, and moved on. They could have kept playing golf and would have never known that, you know, we had even gone by them. But yeah, like you said, Brian, that, that three or four minutes that they could have spared just, you know, letting us do our thing, they would have never seen us again. And, but old people generally don't like to let you play through for whatever reason. Like it's this shot at them. Like they're not very good. No, we're just, we play golf a different way and we just want to play as fast as we can. On the flip side of that, the other thing that kind of bothers me is when, Hey, you're playing in a twosome or threesome and Hey, we're say we're finishing up on a green and you got that random single or that double out there that's playing and they're, a hole behind you and they're like oh we're just gonna buzz forward two holes and we're gonna jump and you're you're putting yes. and you're walking off the green and they're pulling up to the tee box and hitting their tee shot and it's like okay now we have to wait for you because you just decided oh, i'm gonna buzz forward two holes on you and i'm gonna step in and and we're gonna play here so that also gets on my nerves yeah you don't have to wait a whole lot because you know that they're gonna play pretty quick but it's like the common courtesy of like not doing that to another group and I've always been one that's like, hey, let somebody play through. I don't care if they're get, you know, if they're on us, let's let them play through if they want to. That's fine with me. You know, we'll, 
I'm out there to enjoy it. I'm out there to have fun too. And, you know, even be competitive with it. But when that group thinks, ah, or that single's like, I'm just going to buzz out there and not look who's behind me. And I'm going to jump on this tee box and somebody's already rolling off the green. Yeah. That's irritating. But as a group that is getting run up on, you know, if you know somebody behind you is playing faster than you, I don't think there's anything more uncomfortable as a golfer is constantly looking back, you know, to see where they're at. Oh, should we let them play through now? Do we let them, you know, do we hit another shot? Like at that point, just stop at the tee box and let them go through and everyone will be happy. Cause I hate having to look back. Yeah. Or even tee off and then wave them, you know, let them tee off and let them play. And you guys already have your balls out there and you're, you know, rolling up to them too. And then they can get out of the way and, you know, but just as something to keep the pace of play going with that. Uh, I, I do have to admit there was a time, so what it was, I think eighth grade, I was in eighth grade, one of my good friends from back home, Jay Bustrom, his mom was a girls, uh, girls golf coach. And so we would actually go out and play and kind of practice a little bit with the high school girls team when we were eighth graders. And then we would get jump in our carts and we would go play as they had to walk. And then we would obviously get stuck behind them. And so there was, there <laughs> Hate to admit it now, but there was definitely a handful of times in which that we went ahead and just played over um, the 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 foursome walking, and that I'm going to Country Club lends itself pretty easy to be able to to not put too many people in danger. But we would just literally just hit over the top of them and drive by them um, and keep playing. We we definitely got in trouble. Coach Coach got after us a few times when she found out what we were doing. But uh, don't recommend. Definitely don't recommend that way. But uh, pace of Pace of play is is huge, um, which brings me to my last uh, point on with this uh, is honors. Okay, so obviously honors and, and how that works, and then ready golf. What what? How do you guys see the difference between ready golf and honors? Um, and uh, you know, obviously every situation is a little bit different, but but how do you guys view those two things together? Well, I would say quickly to piggyback on your last comment about lacing golf balls into people or over them i was playing uh at riverside which is the the course my dad's a member at which is just outside of blue earth probably technically winnebago minnesota i was i was pretty young and my dad is like not a very patient person when it comes to just people on the golf course that he thinks aren't doing things right i remember being on, on hole two and and when i was a kid it used to be like you'd hit a seven iron to the top of this hill to hit your second shot in now that people have played it more they just hit driver and go to the bottom of the hill and it does make it for a challenging second shot but back in the day we'd hit to the top of this hill and I remember this group behind us hit this golf ball kind of into us and my dad hit the golf ball back to the people on the tee I mean I don't know where it went but he just like where that ball laid he just took his like five wood back and just hit it back at him like I just couldn't believe it like I mean, I get frustrated, but I don't know if I've ever got to that point. But um, anyway, uh, ready golf honors. I think it depends on what you're playing. Um, I would say if you're playing with your buddies, like play ready golf. I'll probably always go first. I'll just grab my stuff and, and go hit. It's not a big deal. Like you're not really that worried about what somebody got on the last hole, but definitely in a, in a competitive setting, um, you know, even just like a, a scramble, if you're playing with another group, if they beat you, you let them go um, first. But especially you know in an individual tournament you'd, you'd try to do those kinds of things but I would say playing in a foursome with your buddies just get up and hit it no question I'm all about you know 
if your 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 cart gets up to the tee box first, then you're not, you know, you're not playing a game with your buddies or you're not in a competitive round. Uh, you know, I would say on the flip side of things with the collegiate golf side of things, obviously I do feel like the honors should be something that they abide by in that setting. Uh, unless the guy that has the honors tells them, you know, you're already going to be up there, go ahead and go. Uh, but I do think there's a little bit of strategy with that from a competitive side of things when you're playing the college side of things or, you know, even on the professional tour, obviously, because those guys all get a glimpse of what somebody's hitting or they might sneak a peek at their club, uh, you know, because they can see throughout the course of the round of what, how far that person hits them in regards to them. And uh, so they can get a feel for maybe how far a hole's playing or, you know, what the wind's doing or things like that. So when it comes down to the competitive side of things, I do think that the honor should be, you know, pretty strictly abided by, and that should be a common place there. But then when you're rolling around by yourself, I mean, the first person to the tee, go up and peg it and let's play. And so then how does that work? Um, obviously the whole concept of, you know, furthest away goes first. Um, that That's maybe a little bit different than the honors. Um, I, I guess my perspective too, honors is, you know, ready golf takes precedent in most situations. Um, maybe if someone has a birdie, then you let you wait and you're like, Hey man, you got honors or whatever. Um, unless they're still back there writing their score down or something, then it's like, no, we're going. <laughs> but, uh, if, if it's close then you, I mean, you, you wait a minute and let them go. But, uh, uh, and then from, from, uh, from a, who's up type of standpoint too that's always tough as well if someone's kind of you know shoot taking a little, too long to shoot it you just gotta go you just gotta hit your ball like you guys both mentioned it it depends on what situation what the scenario is uh, we're not playing competitive golf uh you know at the collegiate level or anything like that so so you just gotta go uh we're out there to have fun i make a little money you know taking some money from your buddies that's another thing too but uh pace of play is so big right now and uh uh, let's get out there, have some fun, and, and get these rounds done and get in, the, get in the clubhouse and have a few beers. Mormon Colders in Ames and Mason City has been an awesome addition to the team. Top-notch service and apparel, Justin and his team in Ames have been taking care of us here for a while on two-putt. Last weekend, their sidewalk sale was a success, but luckily for you, they continue their 50% off spring and summer items. So hit them up, take advantage, and be on the lookout for some more promotional items coming here very soon. All right, let's uh, jump into our final segment here tonight. Uh, one of our favorites presented by Mormon Clothers, whose career uh, a little bit of a mix-up uh, here tonight. We'll get into that here in just a minute. But uh, we have actually last week's currently up. Uh, depends on what time you guys listen to this pod. It, it might be done. But uh, uh, we're, we're dead heat right now. Um, tied 50-50 between Lee Trevino and Rory. Um, and so you guys have an opportunity. Uh, if you're listening to this in the morning here, jump on. And uh, if you haven't voted already, make sure you vote for that and, and maybe break the tie. Uh, and see where everything shakes out with that. But, um, and then I think I don't, we didn't review it, but uh, uh, Bernard, right, ran away with the last one. I think we touched on it on the last pod, but that's official. Um, so it's been fun. It's been fun going through and comparing these guys. Uh, keeping it in the spirit of the PGA Championship, we did uh, something a little bit different this week. Instead of whose career, uh, we're actually going to go whose win. Uh, we put two PGA Championship wins up on the table, and we're going to talk and kind of compare and walk through those a little bit. And uh, 
uh, like we do each week. I mean, we kind of put our own spin on it and we, we make the narrative whatever we want the narrative to be to fit our story. And uh, same thing goes tonight. But the, the, the two wins in which that we're putting up are actually back-to-back -back wins, uh, playoff wins, memorable wins. And that's the 2010 uh, Martin Keimer uh, over Bubba Watson at Whistling Straits. Uh, like I said, that one went to a playoff. And we'll get into those details a little bit here once we start comparing these. Uh, to Keegan Bradley's 2011 PGA Championship win uh, over Jason Duffner, again in a playoff at the Atlanta Athletic Club and uh, a little bit of a debacle down the stretch on that one. But uh, so uh, with that, obviously it's kind of hard to compare. You guys got to uh, come up with uh, some different reasonings, but I'm excited to hear who's, uh, who's winner are you taking um, between these two guys and why? This is a tough twist to – to this whole I don't know segment I don't I don't I don't really know even where to start um I guess I'll start with whistling straights um it's a course I want to play uh I think it's a course that would be awesome to say you won a major on um I mean maybe you guys can give a little bit more backing on on these two wins like can we get some facts going on on what happened with these these rounds so that might help wouldn't it yeah we talked uh a little bit about before we jumped on but um so whistling straights in 2010 if you many of you probably remember uh that was the one when uh DJ grounded his club in what ended up being a, a bunker uh as they as they ruled it later and so uh, it should have been a three-man playoff, but that two-stroke penalty, DJ actually dropped out of the playoff, um, and Martin Keimer hit a bomb. I, I can't remember exactly how long it was, but hit a long putt on 18 then to force that playoff, which at the time he thought was going to be a, a three-man um, playoff. And then the ruling came down with DJ, and then uh, Keimer and Bubba uh, went into the playoff, just the two of them. I, th I think two-hole playoff? Three-hole. Three-hole Three playoff. Um, Bubba got a little aggressive and was scrambling, um, from what I remember on that. And Keimer was just kind of just slow and steady and hitting the ball and fairways and greens and, and, and made a putt again, uh, you know, putted really well and, and obviously just outlasted Bubba on that one, uh, versus the other one, uh, obviously Keegan Bradley at Atlanta. Um, what, what do we say? Duffner had a five stroke lead with four to go. Uh, yeah, down the stretch on that one. Yeah, the uh, the scenario played out. Duffner was standing on the 15th tee, long par three, 259 yards. Keegan was in the group ahead of him. Uh, he watched Keegan make a triple. He uh, missed the green, chipped it into the pond, made triple bogey. And when when Bradley walked, when Keegan walked off the green, uh, Duffner had five stroke lead with four holes to play for himself. Yeah, I hit a bomb. Have like a fifty-footer on seventeen for birdie, and I think they, I think they both birdied eighteen. Um, if I remember, I think they both threw darts, and then um, I don't remember the playoff. But uh, uh, yeah, Bradley was Bradley was young. Um, it was the first win with a belly putter. Um, he was rocking the Oakley shirt and white pants and red belt. I do. Do remember that, but uh, and Duffner being old Duff Daddy thought he had it won, but uh, didn't didn't work out. But uh, he obviously what two years later got his championship. So 
All right, Lee, there's the facts. Everything that you need to now make a decision on who's when. Oh, Seggy's got one more thing he wants to well, add. I, I was just going to tell you that that PJ Championship at Whistling Straits, they played 10, 17, and 18. 10 was a short par four. Uh, Bubba made birdie, Keimer made par. So Bubba was one stroke ahead after the 10th hole. Uh, 17th hole was a par three. Keimer made a 15-footer for birdie. Bubba had like 45 feet, two putt for par, two putt pod. Uh, and then we rolled to the 18th hole. Both guys missed the green right or missed the fairway right. Bubba tried to go for the green, came up short in that little kind of, uh, I guess, kind of crick bed slash no mow area. Uh, and so Keimer decided to lay up uh, and then obviously eventually went on to win the championship there uh, because both Bubba uh, hit his four shot into the green, uh, into the bunkers. So that's kind of how that championship played out in the three hole aggregate playoff. And that's why you, we have honors, right? And you play, you play in turn because it uh, makes a difference. In competitive, in competitive. <laughs> uh, All right. That's a lot of facts. Um, so we're talking a couple meltdowns by people. Duffner's like a major meltdown. Bubba just being Bubba. That's why I like him. Um, man, I know we talked about the the Keegan Bradley Duffner thing when we did Who's Career. I chose Keegan over which career I'd rather have. That was way back. That was the Nate Perry episode. Um, I'm I. Again, I'm going to go back to the course. I think that's my only tiebreaker here. I'm going to go still Keimer at Whistling Straits. Um, that that was such a bogus ruling with DJ, by the way. Like that was a that was a I don't know bogus. Maybe that's the wrong word, but that's a tough ruling for DJ. Um, it would be interesting to know how that would have played out. You know, had it been the way we all thought it would have been. But give me Keimer uh, solely whistling straights because I want to play there and I would definitely want to win there. So we threw out all these facts and you just went back to because I want to play at whistling straights. So, I mean, fair enough. I talked, to, I talked about the meltdowns. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I like the scenario because it's both, you know, I feel like the Whistling Straits one was more of a semi-meltdown, whereas the Atlanta Athletic Club with uh, Duffner was a complete meltdown. Uh, I look at this thing. I was not involved with the Nate Perry episode, but I do remember voting on the, the poll, and I do remember taking Duffner. And I do remember a week ago talking about uh, Lee, or when Lee had Keegan Bradley as his flyer, and I talked about how he was irrelevant a little bit. So uh, which one would I rather have? I'm taking Keimer because he actually had to make birdie on 17 on the par five in the aggregate playoff. He actually had to make the decision to lay up. Uh, he let Bubba kind of implode a little bit on his own, but then made the decision. Whereas Keegan, yeah, he did birdie, uh, make a big birdie putt, a long one, but a five-shot lead with four four holes to go, that's a complete meltdown. So I want to have the one that you actually go out and earn it uh, and make the good decision. So give me the Keimer one at Whistling Straits over Bubba. All right. So two two for Keimer and uh, Whistling Straits. Um, obviously, as I'm looking at this, taking, taking a little bit different approach and in, in looking who's win would I rather have 
in, in the fact of what happens then moving down the road. And so as I look at these, uh, 2010, Keimer wins the PGA Championship, and then 14, I think he goes and gets the U.S. Open, right? Pinehurst. Uh, yeah, and so he goes and gets the U.S. Open, and uh, and then he goes this weekend and plays really well on Thursday. You want to talk about meltdown. What in the world? Shot 12 over on Friday. Yikes. It must have been the tan on tan. Did you see that outfit that he was wearing on Thursday? I mean, yikes. It couldn't have been any worse than Adam Scott's outfits the whole week. I mean, Adam Scott, what is that guy? I mean, for a part-time golfer, though, he he played pretty (laughs) well. But uh, his outfits are brutal. I mean, just brutal. So... Both those guys, ugh, I don't know what what was going on, but uh, so so Keimer um, went on and obviously has the two majors uh, with Keegan Bradley. Um, obviously, as I mentioned, first win with the belly putter, um, and then since they've instilled that rule, uh, too many of those guys were winning majors with belly putters, so they said no more of that, no mas. And the guy hasn't gotten a win since. Um, just been on the struggle bus. You know, I, we mentioned it the first time I picked Keegan solely because of his Jordan brand, um, uh, allegiance and, and being able to go that route. But this time I'm going to go against you guys and still stick with Keegan Bradley solely because I'm going to take that win because he, he ain't winning again. And Keimer ended up going and getting another win. So if I, if I'm only going to have one, then, then give me that one, I guess. Um, and that win it, probably means more to Keegan than it did uh to Keimer and so that's more relevant now yeah that's why I'm more relevant now Keimer Bradley uh you asked me last Friday morning I would have said Keimer but man that was a just a debacle of a round he played if I asked you last Tuesday you said Bradley so yeah for sure I I mean I even Bradley I mean, that guy's young enough. He, you know, I mean, they're both actually still pretty young. They're supposed to be about in the prime of their career, right? But I don't I mean, know. That, that dude needs to get on the Kepka train and throw one of those hogs in because, I mean, the way he has the shakes over the ball when he's going up there and jitterbugging around, I mean, how can you play golf like that? And that was one of the other things, too. I watched real quick the, the highlight of that. And that's probably the last time I've seen Keegan Bradley hit a golf shot. And so. I forgot how hunched over he was like on his, on his irons and stuff. I was like, man, that's just so weird. And he had a little bit baggier pants with the slit in the bottom. And then obviously the belly putter and that big visor. I was like, Oh man, 2001, like close, man. I will give props to Keegan though, because I mean, Ryder cup, him and Phil, they were dynamic together when they played together. But that was also meltdown in Medina, so it brings back bad memories. And that was still belly putter, right? He still was able to use for the sure. Belly putter. For so sure. he needs to go to he needs to go to that whatever Webb is doing now with his putting stroke, um, and do that. Which which also that was another thing too. Watching that, watching Duffner, he had the he had a fat grip on his putter, and 2011 that had to have been that had been pretty early on the fat grips. Well, Duffner's always had the yips from inside of five feet. So, I mean, watching him putt two inside of five feet. I mean, you get him outside of five feet, really, really solid. I mean, you know, good. PGA Tour standards, good. 
but he gets inside of five feet and it is borderline nerve wracking to watch because you don't know what he's going to do. And he quit throwing hogs in, didn't he? I mean, well, he used to golf with some hogs. And he got divorced. So, I mean, all the above. Whew, man. Well, I'll tell you what, that was fun. I, uh, I kind of liked uh, mixing it up and uh, taking a little bit different approach. And so we'll see, we'll see what uh, Twitter thinks on that. We'll get that poll out uh, in a little bit more of a timely manner. And, uh, you know, it was fun. It was a fun PGA week. We've talked a lot about the PGA Championship. Uh, it's been a fun tournament. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening and hanging on with us for this long. And uh, this is the Two Putt Pod, Iowa's number one golf podcast. And we'll catch you on the next tee.